Beautiful Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence which never leaves us nor forsakes us. We thank you that you have been with us. You were with us all night. You were with us when we woke up this morning and you're with us now. Father, I ask you to open our awareness to the flow of your spirit in this room. Open the eyes of our hearts to see what you're doing. Open our spiritual ears to hear the song that you're singing over us this morning. We ask you to soften us. I ask you to prepare my heart and the hearts of every person in this room to receive the eternal word of God, that we would be soft soil. And as you spread the seed, good sower, I pray that it would go deep, take root, and grow up for a harvest of righteousness for your namesake. <coughs> Pray that our hardness wouldn't keep it outside of us. I Pray that our shallowness wouldn't begin to give it root and then kill it when the sun comes out. I pray that the enemy would be kept away so that he cannot steal it from us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The parable of the sower is, for anyone who is a preacher or teacher of the word of God, the parable of the sower oh, is, is deeply, uh, uh, it helps, uh, because... It's good news that the Word of God has life in itself. It's good news It's good news that the Word of God never changes and that the activity of God never changes, that God is always just spreading revelation, self-revelation. It's the center, it's just who God is. He's this 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 he's just constantly seeking to be known. I had this experience with God years ago, and I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I'm gonna share it. I had this experience that I've had I've had through my life, through my uh, experience, my my walk with Jesus, I've had multiple like moments of radical encounter. Okay? And uh, and I've been thinking a lot about those moments of radical encounter lately. Um, as you guys know, Sam Jones had a moment of radical encounter a week ago Sunday. It's reshaping his entire way that he sees God. I've had multiple moments like that in my life. And the big question for me prior to this was like, 
you know, how to, I mean, I might be making it too simple, but, but like, kind of my question was always like, how do we get God to do that more? Does that make sense? Like, wow, God did this thing and it radically altered me. Yeah, go uh, take care of that, man. Uh, how do we... How do we get that God did this thing and it radically altered me? And why doesn't God do that every time? And why can't that happen all the time? And, 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 and I want to have these moments of radical encounter more often. And wouldn't the Christian life be easier if I was constantly getting God zapped? Are you with me? And so I would go to places where lots of people are being God zapped. I would listen to songs that had that were that God was zapping people through those songs. I would go and find, I would like, I would try and find like, teachers that uh that that you know if you listen to them you're gonna get god zapped right like like nobody used those words of course that that's really what i was thinking right and so i was putting myself in a position i'm like zap me god here i am and then i thought that that was the key to christian life was to live in this place where i'm constantly running around for the next god zap because I had been zapped by God, I had experienced these kinds of moments of radical encounter, and, and my whole life was changed, actually, honestly, long-term changed by moments of radical encounter. And by the way, if you read the Bible, it's everywhere in there. People are constantly getting God zapped all throughout the Bible, so we should just be looking for that, right? And, then, and we're Pentecostals! Amen. The name of our the name of our spiritual movement is a memory of a day when a whole group of people got God zapped. Because that's what we want, right? Are you with me? Yeah. And we do want that. I am not saying we don't, but what I am what what has changed in my heart is that I've begun to understand that what changes from day to day is not God, but me. And God zap moments don't happen because God's finally ready to zap me again. God zap moments happen because I'm finally ready to receive it. That I'm in a place where I can hear the next thing God wants to say to me. So it has much more to do with the preparation of my heart than it does with God's intention, God's action. Does this make sense? Okay. And if you go back and look at the places where people got, let's just take, let's take the day of Pentecost as a perfect example. Okay. They had been in constant night and day prayer for 10 days leading up to the day of Pentecost, okay? Nine-day prayer for 10 days leading up to the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, wait until I send the, the gift from the Father. Why didn't it happen the first day that they gathered? Do you think Jesus was like, like well, I'm not ready to do that? No. Jesus called them into a place of preparation. He called them into a place of waiting. He called them into a place of, of expectation, a place of out-of-the-ordinary spiritual preparation. 
And when they were all in one accord, it says. You see, there was something that needed to happen in the individual hearts of those people and in them as a community where they were prepared to receive what God wanted to give them from moment one. Jesus breathed on them while he was still on the earth and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' intention for them to receive the Spirit predates the day of Pentecost. It's not Jesus' intention that changed. It was their position that changed. Are you with me? So it is heart preparation that sets the table for the suddenly of God. Are you with me? Does this make sense to you? And if you would ask Sam, he would tell you that he, he had been on quite a journey, a journey of some disillusionment, a journey of some confusion, a journey of some, of some uh, uh, deconstruction where he's like, I'm not really okay with the picture I have of God right now. Like he had been on this, he'd been on a journey and this was God finally breaking in. But it wasn't God. God was ready to do that day one. But Sam wasn't ready for it. Besides, the journey is almost always more important than the destination. So I still like a good God gift, right? And I look forward to those. But I recognize that if there's distance between me and God, it's my distance. That distance is my intentional or unintentional holding God at arm's length. That he's such a gentle and wonderful leader that he knows exactly when he can say something profound and deep and important to me that's going to radically change me. For me, okay, I, has, I had this, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but I, so I'm at, I went to, speaking of God's at places, I went to the House of Prayer in Kansas City, okay? And uh, I actually took the whole youth group, uh, the whole uh, worship team from the youth group at the time. This was back in like 2001 or 2002. <coughs> we were going for the One Thing Conference, which, by the way, is amazing. You can I just go because it's great. All right. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go, you should go. Uh, but I was going we were going for the One Thing Conference. And uh, and uh, we we. Uh, Walked into the first service. There's like 30,000 people there. It's this crazy, crazy time. We walk into the first service, and this band called Waterdeep gets up to, to play the first worship set. And they're doing like Christian contemporary music, but it's not worship music at all. It's like very kind of like, you know, you know, Jesus is cool. Like, right? <laughs> I don't even know what it was. It was, there was one song where it was talking about how it's good for minute, for like, married couples to get into a fight because then they're going to like make up and <laughs> and I'm like I'm here for a God zap and I'm not going to get it from this right and it was a bunch of people that were mad but I, I I just looked at the whole team and there was probably oh maybe 15 or 16 of us that were there for this and I said to them um guys I I don't know what this is but I'm going to the prayer room and uh, the, what happens during the One Thing Conference is the 24-7 the prayer thing continues to go on. That never stops. 
It's been going on for a long, long time now. Uh, I don't know how many years, but 15 maybe years. They've been doing night and day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week prayer in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, and uh, and that was and at the conference they moved the prayer room to the conference, but they don't like take a break in the prayer room during the the sessions that are going on. So you can either go hang out in the prayer room, or you can go to like the services of the conference. Like it's two different things. And I said, I'm going to the prayer room. So I went to the prayer room and I walked into this thing and because I'm starving for something from Jesus. It's the whole reason I'm here. I drove 11 hours to get here. And then you're singing about getting a fight with your wife. I'm sorry, I'm not okay with this. And, and so I left. Apparently it got pretty ugly at, by, like later on after I left. Like people were going, do worship. Like, like it was bad. But anyway, <clears throat> I wasn't there for that. Uh, so, <laughs> but I went, I went. So I went to the prayer room. Right, and I walk in there, and it's like a hot tub of the presence of God, just like bubbles of the presence. Just there's something going on in this room, and I'm just like, "Woo, this is awesome!" The atmosphere in there was just electric, alive, incredible. Right, and I'm like, "Sweet!" So I go around and I sit down. And I'm in the chair, and I'm like, "Okay, God, let's do this." Right, I want to, I want to encounter you. I need a God zap. Of course, I, I, again, I've never used those words till today, but but it's a good it's a good term, right? That makes sense, right? Okay, so I'm there and I'm in the thing, and and they start singing uh, uh, the psalm that says, because you know that in the in the prayer room they always sing scripture. They sing scripture and everything spontaneous. They like might do a couple worship songs, but then they just go off into singing scripture and praying scripture and it's awesome and again you gotta go sometime if you've never been to the house of prayer in Kent city you just gotta go it's it's an amazing place but so they start singing the scripture that says uh creating me a clean heart of god renew a right spirit within me and it's like and and they and they they're repeating search me and know me Search me and know me. And so I'm like entering into that. I'm going, yeah, God, search me and know me. Search me and know me. And then I get this picture of Jesus. You know? Jesus is like, and he's standing in front of me with those fiery eyes. You know? I didn't see this with my eyes like a movie. I've had those. kind. That's called an open vision. That's happened to me a couple times. This was like an in my mind's eye kind of moment. I get this picture of Jesus. And he's looking at me with those laser beam eyeballs, you know? This passionate, fiery look on his face. And he's like, I know you. I want you to know me. And then he opens his robe like this. So that, like, his heart was just like this. And it was like this fiery, like, something. And I was just like, ah! And like, <laughs> like, fell out of my chair in between and these are like really rows that are really close together, right? Because I was just immediately overwhelmed by just like, and, and I fell down in between the chairs and I'm laying there between the chairs just like, because I was just getting, it was a total God zap. I mean, really, it was like somebody had stuck my fingers in a light socket, just like, right? <laughs> it was, I'm not kidding. It was this crazy moment. <laughs> I just like, ah! and I realized that I was yelling. Now, a little backstory. 
little backstory. I had been told because this is the house of prayer, um, they get some of the some of the crazies. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The wild and crazy spirit people. You know, people that are like I'm gonna wave my flags everywhere. Right? Okay, I'm just. They get some of the crazies, right? <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, that's what they're doing. You know, and they're kind of running around and, and like, I've literally seen people walking around dressed like Jesus, just like, yes. like in robes. I'm not kidding. So they get some of the crazies and they're really good at kind of like not letting the crazies hijack the show. They're very good at it. And they tell you ahead of time, like, if whatever God is doing to you, and let's just say it's God. <laughs> they're not going to question it whether, whether it's God doing it to you or not, but if it's a distraction, they're, they're going to take you out into another room. Okay? That's what they do. They're like, hey, if that's God, we're happy about it, but we're not going to let it distract everybody. So they have people that are kind of like eagle-eyeing all the crazies, just like, you know, they're just looking around. You know, walking around, I had seen them, and I had seen them, like, pick people up off the floor that were doing exactly what I was doing and just carry them out of the room, just like, it's no big deal. Just... <laughs> and there's, like, little rooms off the side, to the, like, encounter rooms, where that's where all the crazies are. You know, and it was a couple times, it was like, can I get in there? I mean, I would kind of like to at least just watch. I mean, <laughs> or maybe it'll rub off on me, you know? I don't know, but anyway, so, yeah. So, um, one quick thing, another encounter room for those for or are you talking about people that are slain in the spirit that are kind of like, that are shaken? And then yes, they, they or people that are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, like, like, I mean, and if you're a distraction, you're going to get pulled away. Yeah. Okay, and they're okay with people worshiping Jesus. Yeah. But, and there's, the, the, the video feed is on in there. It's not like they're, they're it's just, if you're going to be a distraction, we're going to just remove you. And that's like, and so people slain in the spirit went in there. Uh, if they were being a distraction. If you just get slain in the spirit, they leave you alone. Yeah. But if you get slain in the spirit, like, in the middle of where everyone's walking, <laughs> oh, yeah. or if you get slain in the spirit and you're like, ah! you know, so, um, you know, because the, the, they're just very, and they don't judge. They're just like, hey, you're being a distraction. We're going to pull you to this other place. And I knew that. And so... I'm fun, and so in the midst of me having this crazy God's at moment, I'm also thinking, oh, they're going to carry me out of here, <laughs> right? Like, but I did not have control over what was happening to me. So I had this like same thing. There's like two things going on at once. I was really scared. But okay, so so I had that kind of thought. I just wanted to lay that there. Okay, they did not carry me out, by the way. Um, I don't think they could have got to me. The way the chairs were really, really like narrow to get in between. Um, and they and there was people on either sides of me, and I just don't think that either they didn't see me or they just couldn't get to me, but because I, I was in the middle of the row. But regardless, if you're gonna be a crazy at IHOP, just get to the middle of the row. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I actually went to another one thing conference like several years later, where two guys started fighting in the back row. That was pretty fun. But yeah. <laughs> We're standing there, we're kind of just worshiping, and it's a great time, and I think Misty Edwards is on the stage, right? And we're just like, wow, she, this is great. And all of a sudden, this one guy just takes his shirt off and starts, <laughs> oh my I'm not kidding. 
I mean, again, I didn't. We didn't see anything that happened before that. Just, uh, just it seemed like completely out of the clear blue. They started beating the crap out of each other. We're like, whoa! <laughs> Security guys, <laughs> right? It was, it was awesome. Anyway, I was impressed. I was impressed. I was. So, regardless, I'm so off on a bunny trail right now. But <laughs> I want to get to the to the Bible here in a minute. Uh, but. So I am in between the rows, okay? And I hear my own voice. And I'm yelling at the top of my lungs one phrase over and over again. And it was this. He is the naked God! I'm not kidding. That's why I'm lying there... <laughs> And I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, he is the naked God. I can't keep saying that over and over again. I was so worried. <laughs> Finally, I was able to calm down enough that I was not doing that anymore. But that, I was one of the, you know, the Lord likes to embarrass me, apparently. But. They say the Lord has a sense of humor. And it's true. I believe that. Yeah. So. What came out of that was I began to go back into scripture. Because what I gained, what the Lord showed me, what the Lord like so filled me up with from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head, was this incredible, intense desire of God's that we know him. And not know him like, oh, I know that guy. No, that we know him. There's a couple words in the Bible, in the New Testament, that, talk, that are translated as the English word, K-N-O-W. No. Okay? Not no, like N-O, like negative. No. K-N-O-W, like no. Okay? There's two words in the Bible that are translated that way. First one is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. And that is like a fact, like you would know a fact, like two plus two equals four. Then there's epinosis, which is intimate experiential knowledge. And that's the word they would use for sexual relations between a man and a woman, like when it says Adam knew his wife. Okay? That was their nice way of saying, okay? Like if you have ever heard anybody say, I know her in the biblical sense, right? Okay, that's that's the and that's literally, it means intimate, experiential knowledge. Like a city you've lived in your entire life. Like, I know what it's like to stick my finger in a light socket because I did it, right? <laughs> and I can tell you. I don't just know that it's a bad idea. I know. <laughs> okay? Most of the time in the New Testament, especially in the letters of Paul, when it says that we should know God or we should experience the knowledge of God, it's epinosis that Paul's using. He uses that word. He uses the word that means intimate, experiential knowledge of God. Like what I had, like what that moment was for me. Like he wants us not to just know facts about God, he wants us to have a history with God. One of my favorite ways to talk about it. 
You need a history with God. You need experience. You need to know. <coughs> Epignosis, not just gnosis. We took the, one of the ways that we talk about this is going from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. It's the difference between mental assent to a truth and internalization of that truth. You with me? Okay. The word we have for this journey, head knowledge to heart knowledge, from mental assent to a truth to internalization of a truth, is discipleship. That's the word that we have. Okay. I was... Uh, uh, you ever see the movie The Matrix? It's rated R, so I probably should not supposed to talk about it, but it doesn't matter. <clears throat> it's from 1999. If you guys haven't seen it by now, it literally just celebrated its 20th anniversary. Okay, so <laughs> I heard that. I don't know how I feel about it, but okay. And you know that there's this moment in the movie where. Uh, Trinity is on the roof, and he and, and and Neo says to her, "Can you fly that helicopter?" And she's like, "Not yet." And then she says to the guy, "She's like, I need a download for a, a pilot program for a helicopter, right?" Okay. And then she just kind of goes, <laughs> and she knows how to fly a helicopter, right? Okay. How many of you know that is impossible? Yeah. Okay. And the reason that's impossible is even if you had all of the mental knowledge of exactly how that helicopter works, it is an entirely different thing to sit down behind the controls of an actual physical helicopter and make it do what it's supposed to do. Because there's a difference between mental memory and muscle memory. Does that make sense? There's a difference between mental memory and muscle memory. It's one thing to know how something works, and it's another thing to actually do it. It's an entirely different thing. And they are not, those two kinds of learning are very different from one another. Jesus wants us to be disciples of his. And when he says that, he is not <coughs> saying, I want you to have complete mental knowledge of everything that I've taught and everything that I want you to do. Nope. He does want that for you. He wants you to have complete mental knowledge. But he also wants you to have muscle memory as well. He wants you to have experience doing that as well. Being a disciple is being someone who spends time with Jesus to learn how to be like Jesus so that we can do what Jesus did. Spending time with Jesus so we learn how to be like Jesus so we can do what Jesus did. You with me? You are in a discipleship program. That's what you're in. <coughs> That's what Master's Commission is. A discipleship program. 
And the reason why you need a program is because you need to go beyond head knowledge and you need to move into heart knowledge. You need to go beyond mental ascent and, you need to, and it needs to be internalized. You need to go beyond mental memory and move into muscle memory. Because it's one thing to say that I should not worry, and it's another to not worry. It's one thing to say I should love my enemies, and it's another to actually love your enemies. It's one thing to, to say I should forgive, and it's another to actually forgive. But we're going to start today, as we're going to start in Matt, we're going to start in Matthew chapter five, and we're going to go through Matthew five and six in the next few times that we meet together. I don't know how long it's going to take us. We're going to go as fast as I can, which isn't very fast. Because this is Jesus' discipleship manual, Matthew five, six, and seven is to see is Jesus' discipleship manual. This is the download from the hel for the helicopter. This is the thing. There's things you need to know about this particular portion of Scripture. This is not a list of rules that Jesus is putting on the wall. This is an invitation into partnership with him, which is going to result in muscle memory for you. Muscle memory and what it means and what it looks like to be a true human being, to be who God created you to be. That's what this sermon is. This sermon is not an instructional video. This sermon is an invitation into a training exercise with Jesus. This is, uh, this is Jesus saying, I want to be your personal trainer. This is where we begin. I just, I'm, I'm reading this book called The Eternal Current, which I would definitely recommend to everyone it's by this guy named Aaron Nequist and he is talking about he said the problem he said now I want you to imagine a gym a gym okay where people go and they want to get fit okay and you go and you sign up and you, the first day when you get there they walk you into this large auditorium with you know 500 people okay and there's a band on the stage and they're singing great songs I mean it's a great band and they're singing great songs all about how great it is to be healthy and how important it is to be fit. Isn't that great? And then a guy gets up and he talks to you. And he gives you a lecture for 40 minutes about the importance of physical fitness. And then they say, have a great day. And you walk out the back door. And that's great. And then you go back the next time and they do the same thing again. Are you going to get physically fit? No way, Jose. No. It requires getting on a machine. It requires somebody saying, this is how you lift weights. Now lift, nope, you did it a little bit wrong. Lift it like this. It requires training. His whole thing was, that's what Jesus' discipleship method looked like, was training. But that's not what our churches look like. That's a problem. And I am in the midst of praying through how do we reform church so it looks like that? How do we make church a gymnasium? And I 
have a head start because our church actually meets in the gymnasium. So that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. But it's true. It's true. I really want to know how to do that. This is where Jesus began, was with Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This, these words are quite likely the most important words ever spoken by a human being. And here's something I want to just test you on. How many of you can quote at least three of the Ten Commandments? <coughs> well, hands up, you can quote three. No, Put your hand in the air. You can quote three of the Ten Commandments. What? All right. I'm not asking you to do it. I just want to know if you can. Can you? How many of you can quote three of the Beatitudes? You guys are doing good. Because when I put this question to my church, 90% of the people were like, I can do three of the Ten Commandments. But I ask them to do three of the Beatitudes, and they're like, ah. Blessed are the cheese makers. That's that's from that's from the life of Brian, a movie you can't watch. So um I caught that reference. I don't rest breakfast. I told you don't watch it. That's not a movie I want people to watch. But 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 there's there's some really funny moments in the movie, I gotta say. Um but as a movie, it's not great. Uh I'm not the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's trying to Test our faith by telling us he's not the Messiah, which means he is the Messiah. <laughs> anyway. Follow the God of Jerusalem. All right. <laughs> I want to go to the stoning. All right. So, here's my friend Brad Jerzak on the Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus' most important message. It was Jesus' most often repeated message. It was the core of what Jesus taught, and it was Jesus' interpretation of the deepest and most vital meaning of the law of Moses. It was Jesus' distillation of the entire law and the prophets. This is Jesus. This is Jesus reinterpreting <coughs> the Old Testament. That's what he's doing. This is Jesus reinterpreting the Old Testament. You've heard this interpretation of the Old Testament. Here's the correct interpretation of the Old Testament. That's what's going on here. And he's speaking to an entirely Jewish crowd, so they knew the Old Testament very well. And Jesus was saying, you've heard it interpreted one way. Here's how it should be interpreted. Okay. Matthew 5 through 7 is the peak of the entire... Oh, well, I'm not going to... In, in the sermon, in all Jesus' sermons, he's correcting the disciples' interpretations of the Old Testament. He told us he's not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. This is Jesus teaching the Bible. Okay? Corporately, this is the constitution of the kingdom of God. Individually, it's the backbone of what we would call the Jesus way. 
When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he was talking about Matthew 5 through 7. When Jesus says, teach them, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I have commanded you, he was talking about Matthew 5 through 7. To be a disciple of Jesus, you have to learn how to walk a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. Jesus is speaking not just as the head of the church, but as the creator of the world. This is what it looks like to be truly human. When Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, now I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's talking about this lifestyle. Have I gotten it across to you yet? That this is the cornerstone? And yet we don't know it. We don't know it. We don't know the Sermon on the Mount. And we definitely don't live it. All right, let's get started. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Okay, it says Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down. He opened his mouth and began to teach. <laughs> he began to teach. Now, in the, in the New Testament world, the teacher would sit and the students would stand. I kind of miss those days. Um, I'm kidding. I don't think I could sit and teach. It's very hard for me to sit and teach. I, I need motion. I need because I get too excited, especially about Sermon on the Mount. I just this message burns. Jesus wants me to know Him. He made that extraordinarily clear. <laughs> uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, I'm going to back up. <laughs> We're already, we're at the very first one, but I want to talk about this a little bit. He begins every word, uh, every, every, all of the, all of the uh, Beatitudes begin with, blessed are the, okay, that's where they start, all the Beatitudes. But Jesus wasn't saying hashtag blessed, okay, that wasn't, that's not what was going on, all right? This wasn't, when we think blessed, well, let me get it from here for you. When you think blessed, like, what does that mean? Like favor. Okay. Yep. Come on, y'all. Blessed. Righteous. Okay. Anybody else? Blessed. When you hear the word blessed, what comes to your mind? Sure. Okay, the Greek word is makarios. Makarios. Cool word, makarios. That's the Greek word, and it literally means the life of the gods. Plural. Okay? The idea is, it's that good life. Okay? If you think about the life that the Greek gods were supposedly live up on Mount Olympus, okay? They're not, there's no hunger, there's no fear, there's no sickness, there's no death, you know? It's kind of this picture of like, 
Wow. Wouldn't it be great to live that life, right? That's the connotation. Okay. And Jesus is twisting it, taking that word and using it for things that make no sense to our earthly understanding of that. There used to be this show when I was a kid with this really annoying uh, guy. I forget what his name was. Uh, Robin Leach was his name. And the name of the show was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And you know, they would tour people's houses and all their cars and all this other stuff, right? You would follow a rich person around. And it just so that it's, it's just like MTV Cribs, but this is way before that, okay? <laughs> same thing, same idea, right? It's so that everybody can watch it and be like, wouldn't that be awesome, okay? That's what Jesus is talking about. You want to know how the world really works? This is Jesus confronting the way the world, the way that people understand reality and saying, you're wrong about reality. You think that the blessed life would be to have unlimited cash, a trophy wife or and or husband. Okay? Power. All this stuff that the world hungers and thirsts after. You think that that's where blessed life is? That that's what it comes from? And to have that stuff? Oh, I'd love to have that stuff. Dallas Willard says that every culture has a picture, an intrinsic picture built into it of the good life. That every culture has an idea of a successful person, a person that should be envied, is a person that has this. What would that be? Maybe it's the whole goals conversation that we have now in social media, where people are like, oh, relationship goals, whatever goals, right? Like maybe it's that. Maybe, you know, like, like we see something and we envy it, right? We see something and we're like, oh, Okay, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying the enviable life is not what you think it is. It's not money, power, sex, uh, the, the mankind looking at you and being like, they're so awesome, you know? It, it, you know it's, it's not that. And Jesus is saying, but let me tell you what he is. Let me reform your understanding of what a successful human being looks like. And that's what he's doing. So blessed are the poor in spirit. And you can imagine that from the very first phrase, Jesus' disciples were like, say what now? Now what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Come on, y'all. All right, everybody stand up. Come on. Stand up. You getting cozy under your blankets? You, get, you got the droopy eye thing going on, some of you. you stand up on your feet. Would poor in spirit mean like... Um, High five, somebody. Yeah. Do, do a jumpy jack if you, if you can. Everybody, yeah. Yeah. All right. Everybody All right. Oh, yeah, he was. And once blood is flowing, you can sit back down. All right. 
Poor in spirit. Oh, that's an interesting thing. Would Jesus actually say that someone who's not a Christian is blessed? I mean, I don't think he would, but so that's probably not what he's going for. Yeah. Yeah. If so I think about poor in spirit, I think about someone who's financially poor. Sure. Who is and in a dip, and I think it's Luke's version. It just as blessed as the poor. Yeah. I think it like denotes lack of ability or capability. I think. Yes. That's what I think. I love that. That's it. That's what Jesus is going for. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who understand the truth that we are capable of nothing. Okay, later on in John, Jesus says it this way. I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Blessed are those who have an understanding of their inability to have spiritual value and worth outside of Christ. Blessed are those who understand that they are spiritually bankrupt. This is the same thing that later on when Jesus says, it is so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because rich people, people that are at a high status in our world, are so full of, their, of, of this understanding of themselves that I am successful, I have done well, just this, this place of self-congratulatory, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm the best, I'm at the top of the game, I'm awesome, I'm amazing, right? That, you know, that, that's kind of where they live. Even if they're kind of, sort of humble, there's still like an arrogance to, I know how to be successful. You guys seen the commercial with that uh, lady and she wrote this book called The Baddest Bitch in the Room. Have you seen that commercial? There's this, I don't, I don't know, I've seen it a hundred times now because like it's, it's, every time I watch Hulu, there's, it's a commercial, it's an Amazon commercial and it's this lady and she's talking, she's, she's, she's like, I'm in the gym two hours a day, six days a week and, and uh, I can, I'm, you know, in the boardroom, in the whatever, I'm the, this is who I am and that's the name of the book. I wouldn't have used that language if it wasn't the name of the book, but that's that's the name of the book, okay? And and she's all about I know how to be successful, like she's there just saying, "I'm an example. You you should follow my example." And Jesus is going, "No, somebody that is so convinced that they have everything figured out can't be can't learn anything from anybody." Uh, I was watching a movie. What movie was it? Oh, it was Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> the blue people. The blue people have a Okay, okay. Not the last Airbender. I was about to say that. Everybody says a live action. That 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 complete and total abomination of a film. Is all the last Airbender is terrible. The movie. The movie. The movie. The movie. The television show I absolutely and completely adore and always will. 
I'm, I am currently, I am currently rewatching the original Last Airbender series right now. You can get it on Amazon, but you have to, you have to, it's like an $8 a month Nickelodeon thing that you have to get. It's called, it's called Nick Hits or Nickelodeon Hits or something like that. And you can get $8 a month. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the whole series in one month because I just, I don't mind paying $8 to watch the whole series, but I'm going to have to really binge it. So I, the problem is that Disney Plus showed up in the middle of it and derailed my binging. There's three. Well, it's like 70 episodes. Yeah. When you said Nickelodeon, did you hear Netflix? I did hear that, and I'm hoping that now it'll be back. But anyway, get off track. Avatar. So, so the people show up, and they're like, they're, and and somebody says about the, you know, about the main character Jake. Okay, they say to the spiritual leader of the thing, he needs to learn our ways, right? That's, and she says we've tried to teach the sky people before. It is hard to fill a cup that's already full. Which is exactly what Jesus is saying here. If you're full of yourself, there is no room for God. Spiritual poverty is a place of blessedness because you have room to receive. It's in that moment. This is what Jesus is saying when he says that blessed are the children, are, are little children, because little children don't assume they understand. They come to God going, just teach me. They don't come to God with a whole bunch of ideas they have to unlearn. Are you with me? Yeah. So is that kind of like also saying be humble as well? Sure, but it's more than that. Yeah, humility. Well, we'll get to meekness in a minute. Which is more about humility. No, this is something else. This isn't, this is a recognition of the truth that outside of God, I have nothing. That's a big deal. And we all kind of want to think, I'm not completely worthless, right? That's true, you're not. You're absolutely not worthless at all. But the only reason you have worth is because of God. And the only place you have true worth is in God. If you live your life outside of God, there's nothing. Poverty of spirit is an understanding of that. It's a living in that place. It's It's an owning of that place. I am empty. This is one of the one of this is a song I used to sing to God all the time when uh, I was in the Fort Wayne House of Prayer, and uh, we would sing you know different scriptures, and I would sing, "I am empty, you are full, and that is what you want from me." Not that I emptied myself to fill God, but that God's fullness could fill me. And that until God's fullness fills me, I'm empty. The way that Augustine said it was, our souls are ever restless until they find rest in you. 
Even Jesus walked in this place. John 15, 19, John 5, 19, Jesus declares his dependence on the Father's direction and action. The Son can do nothing by himself, he says. John 7, 16, my teaching comes from the Father. John 14, 6, my followers come from the Father, etc. This is the essence of spiritual poverty. The Son of God, the co-creator of all that is, put himself in the place of spiritual poverty so that he could operate as we would operate. Jesus did not do miracles out of his authority as the Son of the living God. He did miracles out of cooperation with what the Father was doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that he could turn to his disciples and say, now go do what I've been doing. Because none of them are the uncreated son. <laughs> right? But they're humans just like him who need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And live in the place of spiritual poverty. This stuff is beautiful because it frees us from the possibility of pride. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace you have been saved so that no man can boast. Right? By grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Why? So that no man can boast. We are left in the place where we don't have anything to offer God. When I don't have an argument for myself, when I can't walk in front of God and be like, I am good, I, I, you should accept me because I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. When we recognize that all of that, every argument we would have for God, we're all gifts he gave us in the first place. When we recognize that every breath that we breathe, every beat of our heart, the very ability of our atoms to hold together is a gift from a generous God, that it is, these are signs of God's generosity and love that even sinful people like us don't fly apart at the molecular level. Are you with me? It's only when we live in this place that we can begin to receive the kingdom because that's what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is this corollary between how empty we are and how much the kingdom of heaven will be made manifest in us. I'm not saying empty of the things of God. Let the things of God fill us. But empty of ourselves? Absolutely. The beauty of this is it frees us from the possibility of pride. When I know I didn't do anything to get myself here, I can't be proud of where I am. It's in the... You guys ever seen that movie, You've Got Mail? <laughs> I know, I know we're going way back now. These are like ancient movies. But there's this scene where this guy is bragging because like he has this big apartment in New York City, but it's rent controlled. Do you know what rent control is? In New York, there are certain places where the rent has been capped and it can't rise above a certain level. As long as, as, long as the person that's it's like once they move in, that's what rent's going to stay for the rest of the time they live there. Even though rent everywhere else is going up their rent's going to stay the same that's called rent control okay and in a city like new york where real estate values are just going through the roof like that's absolutely necessary or no one would ever be able to buy an apartment right 
He's he's saying, oh, it's so great to have rent control. And she says, it's not fair that you brag about that. It's like those people that brag because they're tall. You didn't do anything to get it. It's just yours. So stop boasting about it. Does that make sense? Listen to the poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit removes all fear of limitation because it's not from me. And nothing I'm doing is from me. And it's not based upon what I can do. It's based upon what God can do. It gives me freedom to trust in his power and not my own. I do not have to worry about being capable because he is capable. And it brings us to this place. And this is a prayer that I pray for myself often. Father, I want to live in the place where I have nothing to lose, nothing to hide, and nothing to prove. Nothing to lose, nothing to hide, nothing to prove. Questions, comments. What do you think about this? Come on, I want to hear your brains working. I think it's like a really freeing but also kind of terrifying thought in the same fell swoop because at least me personally, I've Is that guy still living up there? I thought he'd be dead by now. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, it's really freeing in the sense that there is not a fiber of my being that he does not know, that he has not made, that he is not intricately woven together. Since before the beginning of time, before all this existed, that was already there. But yet, it's, it's such a contradiction because that already happened, but here we are and we're worried about what you think looks like X, Y, and Z. And so we're afraid to be vulnerable and be open and let you see the, the, the dark and absolutely terrible um, and barchwafly like pull back. So it's like, it's really freeing to know that there is someone that we can have relations with that will have absolutely no conditions, no nothing, no whatsoever, any way, shape, or form, because he already knows, but it's also frightening in the same aspect because we have that ability. You know, I don't know, it is for me at least anyway, it's freeing to know that I have someone like that, but it's also scary in the same aspect to know that there is someone like that, that knows me that well. It's kind of, that's why I'm out with it. Well, this, that's a great, and I've never associated those two, these two words, but uh, poverty of spirit is a recognition of our complete and utter vulnerability. <laughs> and we don't have, it isn't something we aspire to, it just is. Nobody wants to be vulnerable, but you are. Most of all to God. We just are. Jesus, you are. It's not a momentary experience. We just are. 
So your choice is I can I can <coughs> acknowledge and lean into my vulnerability before God. And in that place receive real grace, love, and kindness. Or I can deny and fight my vulnerability and receive nothing. The thing is, if we understand we're completely vulnerable, we have to really believe that he's a good God. That's, that's the thing. This news is only good news. The gospel's only good news if God is just like Jesus. If God is love, then the gospel is good news. If God is not love, then the gospel is the worst news you ever heard. If God is Jesus, we have only good things to look forward to. If God is Zeus, it gives a whole different meaning to being zapped by God. <laughs> Does that make sense? I think, I think the scariest thought for me is knowing that, yeah, I'm... I can be completely vulnerable with him and I can I can do all this and he knows from the beginning of time he knows all this stuff. And but my my, my thing is is when I am completely vulnerable with him and I make commitments to him and I basically and I open up everything to him and then but then there's always that thought that I know I am messed up again. And like I obviously can always run back to, you know, but and well, and think about it, okay? Spiritual poverty is not just the understanding of our complete <coughs> but it's also the reality, the understanding that that's never going to change. Okay? We don't, we don't have a bank account in heaven that we're filling up. That God's like, well, you can spend that 30,000 God bucks on this, on that sin that you just committed. But the next one, no, that's not how it works. This is either all by grace or it's not anything at all. It's either all a gift or it's nothing because we have screwed it up over and over again and we will continue to screw it up over and over again for the rest of our lives. Amen. Good news. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. No, that's all right. <laughs> that's on the box. <laughs> all right. So, this issue, this place, 
this is where the blessed life is. Okay, so instead of that rich, famous person that, you know, has the most gorgeous wife, the most beautiful car. No, no, no. The, 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 that's not the thing to aspire to or the thing to envy. The thing to envy is the person who lives in the constant knowledge of their own spiritual poverty. The blessed recognition that I give, that I add nothing to God's equation. Do you feel your flesh like fighting that? Do you feel that? Do you feel it? Because I feel it. I feel my flesh going, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> that's how I know I'm hearing the voice of Jesus. Is when my flesh starts to squirm. When my flesh starts to squirm, like, that's, 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 that's when I know the Holy Spirit's talking to me. That's just good stuff. <laughs> I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Let it die, Jesus. All right, we'll try and get through the next one in four mi uh, 14 minutes. Ready? <laughs> it's a lot simpler. It's a lot more straightforward. But again, it's backward to the way the world works. And so it's gonna, it makes our flesh squirm, okay? Blessed are those who mourn. Because they will be comforted. Nobody likes mourning. And I don't mean M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Although mourning and mourning and mourning go together for me. <laughs> when the alarm clock goes off, it's morning and I'm mourning. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys know Jim Gaffigan at all? Yeah. And he's like talking about his his bed. He's like, I never want to leave you. You were wonderful last night. <laughs> I can't wait to come back. I love strong about it saying that there's no such thing as a good morning. Yes. It's the truth. Bad morning, everyone. Or just morning. Morning, everyone. There's that, that scene from Harry Potter in the where... Uh, Harry and Ginny are in the kitchen at at the Weasley's house and they kiss and then I don't know if it's Fred or George it's one of the twins is back there like sipping his coffee he goes morning <laughs> my son Aiden says that every day he's like morning even in the afternoon like when he says hi to people he's like morning <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn. Now, when we talk about mourning, we don't consider it blessed, do we? What's up for what do people say? Like, I haven't, this happened yesterday. I was in a conversation with a really good friend, and they were going through some really hard stuff, and then she, she started crying really hard, and all she kept saying to us was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right? 
She's wiping her eyes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm like, for what? You have nothing to be sorry for at all. If I was going through what you're going through, I would be crying too. It's all right. Mourning is blessed. Oh, we don't like that. We're Americans. We're supposed to be happy all the time, right? You know, we're just supposed to be constantly smiling. People will look at you on the street and say, smile, right? Have you had total strangers tell you to smile? Don't you want to just smack them in the face? It's like, well, you don't get to tell me to smile. And I'm sorry, it happens, it happens to women far more than it happens to men. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that men are horrible people. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that you live in a patriarchy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It breaks my heart. I am a white man, okay? I'm the most disgusting individual on the planet, okay? That's, that's it. And that's just real. It hurts me. It hurts me to my core. And I, my whole life is just like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that guys like me have wrecked the entire world. I'm sorry. It's true. Ugh. 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 Oh, it's disgusting. Guys like me have done some pretty great things too, but we've also done some pretty horrible things, and I'm sorry. Okay. I don't want to apologize. I want to stand in the place of every white male and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I really am. I'm really deeply, truly I'm sorry. I'm sorry on behalf of my gender. On behalf of my gender and my race and my socioeconomic status, I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? We always need to read the second half of these Beatitudes. Don't just stop at the first. The second half is the explanation of the first. Why? Because they'll be comforted. (coughs) Blessed are those who mourn. Why? They will be comforted. Life, all of life, We walk from sadness to joy to sadness to joy. Love the movie, uh, Inside Out. In order for her to find new joy, she had to walk through moments of sadness, right? She had to, sadness had to be allowed or else who she was, her very identity was, was disrupted and destroyed. And they thought sadness was the disruption of her identity, and they were wrong. Sadness and her ability to be sad, her ability to mourn, is what kept her who she was. And when they tried to keep her from mourning, it made her someone she wasn't. (coughs) Human existence has together mourning and joy. And we have to understand that. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. Own it. Live there. Because comfort's coming. 
Neither mourning nor joy are the truth of your entire life. Any of you guys have the unfortunate circumstance of growing up in a church that would make you think, sing things like, I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Yeah! Right, Nathan? <laughs> and joy is a fruit of the Spirit, but it grows out of the soil of mourning. Well, that's true, too. It's more than that. Mourning is a requirement. It's necessary. You have to learn it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who complain. Big difference here, folks. It's one thing to see a reality that's broken and long for it to be changed. It's another thing to see a reality that's broken and make that mean that you get that you have a trump card over everybody else. You know what I can't stand? This is what I can't stand. I can't stand people who turn bad things that are going on in your life into a competition about whose life is worse. Can't stand it. They are missing the point and they're incapable of empathy. Okay, a person who has empathy is gonna is not gonna say when you say, I don't know, I just had a hard day. They're not gonna say, well, it wasn't as hard as mine. Are you kidding me? A person who loves you is gonna step into it and is gonna say, I'm so sorry. Just let me sit here and weep with you for a minute. You don't have, you're not allowed to complain because my complaints are bigger than yours. You know my personal favorite? <clears throat> personal favorite, okay. Uh, you shouldn't complain because other people have it worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's people starving in China. Uh, you know, it's like there's people starving uh, to 100 feet down the street. Okay, you don't have to go that far. But first of all, you don't have to go that far. Okay, I work at a homeless shelter. All right, I see starving people every day. All right, so this is not. You don't have to go to China. It's okay, but but and and yeah, we do need to learn to be grateful. Absolutely, we need to learn to be grateful. For sure, we need to learn to be grateful. That doesn't mean we deny that there are some that there are things to mourn over, because mourning is the first step to sadness. Mourning is the first step to to growth, to moving beyond, to stepping forward, to being comforted. Mourning is where it begins. Blessed are those who don't ignore what's wrong, but attend to what's wrong so that they can be comforted. Blessed are those who see what's broken and speak what's broken so that it can be fixed. Blessed are those who say, I don't have all this figured out because then Jesus can step into the midst of it and teach us something good. When we ignore what's broken, when we ignore what's wrong, when we push it aside and say, I'm not going to deal with that right now. 
But isn't that what we always do? Can I say this to you for just a minute? The culture we live in right now, your culture, your generation's culture, fills its life with so much static and numbness that they never experience true mourning and therefore you'll never experience true joy. We live in a Prozac culture. A culture that says, I don't want to, I don't want to feel my feelings. Here's the thing, until you feel your feelings, you'll never really know what they're trying to say to you. We, have, we don't understand what feelings are for. That's a, that's, that's a whole other conversation, but we don't. Blessed are those who mourn because that is the beginning of a pathway towards healing, wholeness, and comfort. And there is false mourning, which is just, everyone pay attention to me because my life is bad. That's not mourning. That's something else. That is a twisted, broken, disgusting version of pride. Mourning is a recognition of loss and change. It's the way the healthy human soul deals with things that are different than they were yesterday. And is a healing process that leads us from one place to another. It is not eternal. Does not last forever. And it is blessed. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Continue to teach us. Amen. Amen.